In episode three of Talks with God, I talked about the fruits of the Spirit. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mentioned that I would do future podcasts on each of the nine fruits. Today's podcast is going to be on the first fruit, love. But before we get to love, here's a little plug for the podcast. If you like Talks with God, join our Facebook group. Search Talks with God on Facebook. You will get updates when new podcasts are released. In addition, we will be sharing other podcasts, blogs, devotional stories, and scriptures that can help you in your walk with God. Also, I invite you to subscribe to Talks with God, leave a rating and review, and share this podcast with others. Help us on our journey to bring people closer to Jesus Christ in our Talks with God. And now, Episode 6 of Talks with God, Fruits of the Spirit, Love. Imagine a scene where Jesus is about to leave his heavenly home and go to earth. And God says to his son, Those folks on earth whom I have created have forgotten me. You are to go among them as a baby, for everyone loves a baby, and they will accept you in their hearts. So at the gate of heaven, God says, Goodbye, son, I will be with you and bless you always. But father, the son asks, What shall I tell them is the secret of life? Love. Tell them to love one another. So Jesus came down to earth where people did not love one another as they should. He taught them the simple principle of love, a new way to behave that centered upon Jesus, the secret of life, and his message changed the course of history. Let's fast forward to John chapter 13, 33. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, Where am I going? You cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This passage in John occurs after the Last Supper and right after Judas betrays Jesus. After Jesus tells the disciples this, he tells Peter that he will deny him three times. Jesus then tells them that he will prepare a place for them and return and take them there himself. The disciples are confused. They don't understand this place Jesus is talking about. They don't understand why he is leaving and why they can't go. But before Jesus left, he gave them the commandment to love one another. He gave them this commandment so everyone would know they were his disciples. In John 14, 21, he said, They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father. And I will love them and reveal myself to them. Verse 23 says, Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And in chapter 15, 12 to 17, he continues to teach them about love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. 
And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. So there's a theme here. The disciples are worried about where Jesus is going. They are most likely distraught about the prospect of him leaving. They are uncertain about what to do next. But what is Jesus continuing to tell them? He is telling them to love. Is the same thing happening to us? Even after thousands of years, we have not fully embraced Christ's teaching of love. God left it to us to work out how to live this divine principle. Although we struggle, we've made some progress. God is patient with us, but we must learn to love. God is trying to tell us to love. Instead, we are more concerned with how it impacts us. We have our views, beliefs, and agendas. And when we feel those are threatened, we take it personally. And yet God is continually telling us to love. The word love is mentioned in the Bible 731 times. And I'm sure many of you can think of some of your favorite scripture verses with the word love. As I mentioned before, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. God said his greatest commandment is love. But what exactly is love? One dictionary had the following definitions. First, to hold dear. Second, to feel a lover's passion, devotion, or tenderness for. Third, to like or desire actively. Fourth, to thrive in. And five, to feel affection or experience desire. If you listened to the Fruits of the Spirit episode, you would have heard me talk about the five forms of love. I'll go over them again here. The five forms that Greek philosophers identified are one, storage. This is the love we feel towards our family members. Two is philia. This is sometimes referred to as platonic love and is a love we feel towards friends. The third one is eros, or romantic love. This is the love we feel towards our spouse or mate. Four is xenia, or called guest love. It is the love we feel towards strangers. And then five is agape. This is the unconditional love or divine love. It is what we often refer to as Christ-like love. So when Jesus told the disciples and us to love, which love is he referring to? It probably depends on the context, but I think he was referring to agape or Christ-like love. So why is it difficult to show love at times? The simple answer is sin. It is both our sin and the sin of others. As humans, we fail. Our selfish desires get in the way. We get angry, we get tired, hungry, or frustrated. Our emotions get the best of us. Sometimes we don't feel like we want to love others. Also, when others sin, we feel that they have wronged us. We feel betrayed and we don't feel like loving them. It is difficult to humble ourselves to show that love. Another reason is that we don't fully understand what love is. Sometimes we think of love as an emotional response. And we all know that it is sometimes difficult to control our emotions. But in agape love, we don't count the sins. We love because Christ loved. In agape love, we love in all situations. We love those who love us and those who have wronged us. Matthew 5.44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In addition to God telling us to love our enemies in that verse, we are also instructed to pray for those who persecute us. Here are some ways you can pray for your enemies. Number one, thank God for them. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God may be trying to reach you through them. He is challenging you and molding you. Second, ask God to help you to understand them better. Pray to understand their perspective and their point of view. Pray to understand the challenges that they may have had to cause them to be the way that they are. When you start empathizing with and understanding them, you may not be as upset with them. Third, ask for God's grace and love to break through. God already gives his grace and love to everyone. Ask to put any barriers down that you or they are putting up. Fourth, pray for opportunities to bless them. Ask God to show you how and when to bless that other person. Instead of thinking of ways to be hateful towards them, you'll find ways to be kind and love them. Arthur C. Brooks, president of the American Enterprise Institute, wrote a book called Love Your Enemies. In his book, he described an email from someone who read one of his other books. The email began, you're a fraud. The email was over 5,000 words. It criticized every chapter in his book in scathing detail. Brooks said that he was flummoxed, or in other words, he was confused and perplexed. He immediately thought of three possibilities for a rebuttal. First, he could ignore him. Second, he could insult him. Or third, he could destroy him by picking out his heirs and throwing them back at him. Well, first, if Brooks chose to ignore him, is he doing what God instructed in Matthew 5, 44? Well, ignoring is not loving and praying for him. Obviously, insulting him is not showing love. And what about the third option? There are times when I have been very guilty of doing that. I have gotten much better, but you should see some of my old Facebook posts, or at least the ones I haven't deleted. I was not showing love when I did that, and it has been difficult for me when I disagree with someone not to tell them why they are wrong. That is why praying for them is so important. First, if we find ourselves in a situation where we disagree with someone, which I'm sure is bound to happen before the end of the day, what would happen if we chose four ways to pray? First, if we decided to thank God for them. Immediately, instead of being adversarial, we are thanking God for them challenging us. Second, if we pray to ask God to help us understand. This doesn't mean we will agree with them, but we will work to empathize with them so we don't immediately dismiss their point of view. Third, we ask God to break through the barriers. If we know God will break the barriers, we don't need to do so ourselves. And fourth, we pray for opportunities to bless them. If we bless them, we have no time to tear them down. So do you know which of the three options Brooks decided to do? Did he ignore them? insult, or pick the argument apart? Well, the answer was none of the three. Instead, he chose a fourth way. He wrote back to the person telling him that he appreciated him for taking the time to read his book, which he had spent a lot of time working on. He said he was thankful for the attention he gave him and his feedback. The other person immediately responded in a friendly tone, suggesting they meet sometime and talk over dinner. Brooks was thankful. He had broken through the barriers and there was an opportunity for a blessing. And I'm sure there will be more opportunities to understand each other when they meet. 
Remember that one of Brooks' possibilities was to ignore. Many of us choose that path because we don't want conflict. It is better to walk away from conflict than to argue. However, is this showing agape or Christ-like love? Does God ignore us when we are doing something he doesn't like? In our church, we have a concept called faithful disagreement. There are 12 different principles. I'm not going to read them all here, but I want to point out a couple of them. Principle number two says the commitment in general to the overall identity, mission, message, and beliefs of community of Christ may serve to keep a person in the faith community even when that person strongly disagrees with a particular position. One's love for the faith community is stronger than any particular disagreement. The critical statement here is that our love is stronger than the disagreement. And then principle number four says, a person with a differing viewpoint on a particular position is to be respected by the body. She or he may share a viewpoint as a personal opinion during discussions, meetings, training, and other conversations where it is suitable to share personal opinions. The critical statement here is that that person is to be respected. The evil one wants us to be divided. Christ wants us to be unified. We will all have disagreements, but we should not let those disagreements divide us. Brooks came up with the concept of disagree better, not less. He has three guidelines that govern this concept. First, never try to insult someone into a disagreement. When you insult someone for holding a differing view, this produces something called a boomerang effect. Rather than becoming more open to your way of thinking, your ideological opponent doubles down on their original belief. Number two, never assume the motives of another person. We too often assume other motives are self-serving instead of taking on the merits of their arguments. In many cases, especially when these discussions are on Facebook or Twitter, we may not even know the other person. And three, use your values as a gift, not a weapon. As an example that Brooks gave, he was showing up at someone's door with flowers. If you came to their door and handed them flowers, they would accept them as a gift. But if instead you came to their door and started beating them over the head with the flowers, it would be a weapon. Often, we do the same thing with our values, using them as a weapon instead of a gift. So now that we have mastered, in quotes, how to love our enemies, how can we live agape love? Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave us the ultimate sacrifice. 1 John 4.8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. One definition of agape, or unconditional love, I found is unconditional love is always giving and impossible to take or be a taker. It devotes total commitment to seek your highest, best, no matter how anyone may respond. This form of love is totally selfless and does not change whether the love given is returned or not. As human beings, it may not be possible to be completely selfless. We are selfish by nature. However, we can practice agape love by doing some of the following. Don't keep score. 
Agape love does not keep score of the times that you did something for someone so that you can redeem them later. In agape love, you sacrifice without counting the costs. It also doesn't worry about whether you will receive something in return. In agape love, you forgive. Agape love forgives the other person for their sins, and you don't hold the other person's sins against them. You can simply choose to love. Tell yourself that you are making the decision that you are going to love unconditionally. However, don't just say it once and forget about it. Make it a conscious decision to choose to love every day. And you can pray. The previous three are not easy, so we need to ask God for help. When it is difficult to love, we need to pray that God will help us with that love. I've mentioned prayer several times during this podcast. We need prayer because we can't do all of this alone. We need prayer to ask God to give us strength. So I'd like to conclude this podcast by going to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Lord, we ask you to look upon our hearts and help us to love others. Help us to love even when we don't feel like loving. Help us to love when others have hurt us. Give us the strength to forgive and spread your love to everyone we meet. We know that there are people we disagree with. Help us to find ways to love them even when we don't share the same views or beliefs. When we are at home, at school, at work, in our communities, or on social media, there may be times when we have conflicts with others. Help us be loving toward our family, friends, and even strangers we encounter daily. Lord, we know that you are an example of love for us. We know that when we sin, you forgive us. Please help us do the same for others. You gave us the ultimate sacrifice. Help us show the same type of sacrificial love toward others. When we have those moments where we don't feel like loving, give us the strength to look to you for that love. Help us love others as you love them. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.